0: Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, March 15th, 2020. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it's been a crazy and chaotic week, hasn't it? I want to give you this gift right here. It's been a rough week, but I made it. How about you? I'm only 52 years old. I cannot remember in my lifetime a week that has been so crazy that every day has changed so dramatically like it has this past week. I mean, each day, the coronavirus seemed to bring unprecedented effects from officially being declared by the World Health Organization a pandemic to the NBA postponing its season on the news that one of its players had contracted the illness followed by every major sporting event and organization canceling their events, or at least postponing them uh, for the not-too-distant future. Even Disneyland and Disney World shuttered their doors. They didn't even close when Walt Disney died back uh, in the day. And this is uh, uncharted territory. Schools in L.A. County will be closed starting tomorrow. And and if you follow the stock market, what a crazy ride that has been this week. Plus, our governor has said that there should be no gatherings of 250 people or more, which has a huge impact on how we as churches connect with one another. I think we need to see this one more time, (laughs) right? It just makes you feel good when you see that, right? It's like we're not alone, Like, like this little dog understands what I've been going through this week, right? The bottom line is, we all want to know what's next. I mean, not just this week. We this is something that we, as humans, have been wanted to know, maybe wired to want to quest and find out uh, since the beginning, right? Where we we check our our, our weather apps to see, uh, hey, how much more days of this liquid sunshine are we going to have up here in the Antelope Valley, right? Uh, or when we go to Chinese restaurants and we get the fortune cookies, even if you don't want to eat the cookie, you always crack it open, right? You look at the paper, you find out if there's anything in there that might hopefully pertain to you. I mean, we want to know what is coming next in the future. Like this scene from one of my... Favorite movies from the '80s, big starring Tom Hanks, and let me tell you, I planned this on Monday far before we found out that Tom Hanks and Rita, uh, Rita Wilson uh, were the first major celebrities to contract the coronavirus. Now. If you've never seen the movie Big, you are in for a treat. Find some way to stream it this week. You will love it. But the basic thing you need to know about this clip is Josh is a 12-year-old who's at a carnival. He's had a rough day. He hasn't been able to ride some rides because he isn't tall enough, and he's wandered over to this fortune-telling machine that says Zoltar Speaks. Let's watch. Due to copyright restrictions, we're unable to play the audio version of the video clips that we showed in worship today. So Josh goes home, uh, climbs into his bunk bed, goes to sleep, and the next morning, when his mom calls him for breakfast, this happens. Uh, so welcome to the third week in our Lenten sermon series called "The End." Uh, We're looking at the last week of Jesus' earthly life, often called Holy Week, and each day during the six weeks of Lent and Easter Sunday, we're taking one day at a time, one week at a time, during this last week of Jesus' life. On day one, it was Sunday, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, riding in on a humble donkey, a sharp contrast to how the military leaders uh, like uh, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, would have come in with displays of power and uh, authority and might. On day two, Monday, Jesus and his disciples came into the city. They went into the temple, and he turned everything upside down quite literally. He said the people were like uh, fig trees that we were not producing figs. They'd ceased exhibiting the justice and compassion that God desired for them and for the world around them. And this angered the religious leaders so greatly that they vowed from that moment to have Jesus killed. And now, we're on to Tuesday, day three. Each week, we're looking at the Gospel of Mark uh, for our text. And Mark was both the earliest gospel written as well as the shortest No words are wasted by the author, and he tells the absolute essentials of Jesus' life and ministry, death, and resurrection. So I'd like to invite you to grab one of the Red Pew Bibles in front of you, take out your smartphone, and open the Bible app uh, to the Gospel of Mark. Follow along with us. Um, By the way, if you follow, if you uh, click on the Bible link on our app every Sunday, it'll take you right to the chapter that we're reading. Uh, And Darla read chapter 13. I'm kind of lying, we're going to actually start at chapter 11, so you got to hit the left arrow to go back a few chapters, but we are going to pick up in Mark chapter 11. Marcus J. Borg and John Dominic Crossan, in their wonderful book, The Last Week, mentioned that for Tuesday, uh, Tuesday for Jesus is a very, very busy and full day. In Mark's narrative, Tuesday encompasses almost three entire chapters, It totals 115 verses. The next longest days, according to Mark, are Thursday with 60 verses and Friday with 47 verses. So clearly Tuesday for Mark is the busiest day in terms of how Mark shared what was happening with Jesus. Now, we're not going to go through all 115 verses, I promise you, but I did want to give you a quick overview of what's taking place. So, if you got your Bibles open or if you've got your, uh, your apps out, we're going to scroll along with me here. The day officially begins in chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus and his disciples pass the withered fig tree that he had cursed the day before on his way into the temple. He talks to his disciples about faith and prayer, and then in verse 27, they actually enter the temple... And the religious authorities begin to challenge Jesus' authority. That happens through the end of chapter 11. In chapter 12, Jesus throws the indictment back on the religious authorities. He tells the parable of the wicked tenants and how they have completely missed what it was that their master intended for them. Verse 12 of chapter 12. When they, the religious authorities, realized that Jesus had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd. So they left him, and they went away. Verses 13 to 17 are a conversation between some of the religious leaders and Jesus about paying taxes. Uh, they were still trying to find ways to get Jesus in trouble, but Jesus takes out one of the Roman coins, and there happens to be the emperor's uh, image on the front, and says, well, give to the emperor what is the emperor's, and give to God what is God's. In verse 18, and following another group known as the Sadducees, uh, they attempt to throw Jesus off by asking a hypothetical question about life and death. What you need to know is, the Sadducees as a whole, they don't believe in the afterlife. So they're asking a question that they don't even believe to be true to try to find a way to get Jesus in trouble. In verse 28, uh, another leader asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in all of the scripture? And Jesus says, well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, pretty much everything else in the scripture's will fall into place. He's still in the temple. And after being barraged by religious leaders trying to entrap him, Jesus calls into question their authority and how they're leading and guiding the people. This comes from verse 35 to verse 44. And then chapter 12 finishes with Jesus watching this elderly woman go and put two coins into the offering box. And he lifts her up as an example of generosity. Here is someone that gave so deeply. And then we get to where Darla read for us, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. So this is the first time in three chapters that Jesus is stepping out of the temple on that Tuesday. And, and this is going to be the last time that he actually goes into the temple during Holy Week. The rest of what happens will take place outside of the holiest of holy places for the Jewish community. New Testament scholar uh, Lamar Williamson Jr. notes that this marks what he says is the final disqualification of the temple as being the focal point for the kingdom of God. No longer are they to look to the temple, now they're to look to Jesus and what's going to happen with him, with his life, his death and resurrection in the days to come. So, outside the temple an unnamed disciple, comments how amazing these stones were that held up the temple. And I can imagine if we were seeing this reenacted today, the disciple would be like, oh, oh, guys, come together. Let's get a selfie in front of the temple before we leave just to mark what an amazing experience we've had, right? Wanted to take in the grandeur and the glory of this holy place that they had been. They're literally in awe of how magnificent the building looks. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that the largest stones of the temple measured... Are you ready? 68 feet long, one stone, nine feet high, eight feet wide. Now, historians will tell you that, well, Josephus is kind of like a preacher. He exaggerates the numbers. It's bigger than what you think. Oh, but uh, architecture, or not architecture, archaeologists have excavated stones that were in the original temple that are the largest one they found so far, 40 feet long, 10 feet high, 14 feet wide, measuring an estimated 500 uh, tons. Here's a picture uh, taken at the Western Wall, otherwise known as the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. This is the only part of the ancient temple in Jerusalem that still stands today. And granted, these aren't the size of what uh, the archaeologists have found to be the biggest ones, but you can just begin to see how large these stones are to get that perspective. The disciples are overwhelmed by what they're seeing, and surely it must have seen as indestructible to them. And Jesus responds with something that must have been inconceivable for them to hear. Verse 2, then Jesus asked the disciple, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another, all will be thrown down. Now, we know that Jesus was referring to something that would happen some 30 to 35 years later. A war broke out in 66 CE, Common Era, uh, Anno Domini. It was the greatest of the Jewish revolts against the Roman rule. Jewish freedom fighters were successful for a while. These, as they were known, zealots, uh, were able to uh, take back Jerusalem from the Romans. And Jerusalem, from this point, became the center of a violent resistance to Rome. In fact, it took Rome four years to reconquer the city. Four years. And another three to four years to eliminate the last of the Jewish resistance at the stronghold of Masada. According to Borg and Crossan, the whole period was a time of great suffering for the Jews, including Jewish Christians. In fact, they estimate that so many Jews were killed by the Romans that the percentage of the population then would be equivalent to the percentage of Jews that died under Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler. That's how extensive it was. When Titus besieged the city in 70 CE, it was full of Passover visitors. The Roman troops surrounded the city. They uh, formed a blockade and kept anyone from entering or leaving the city of Jerusalem. Cut off from supplies, many of the Jews resorted to eating the leather on their belts and sandals when their food supplies ran out. Many of them starved to death. By August, some four months later, the soldiers then stormed the city, tore down the temple, leaving only part of the western wall from the temple platform still standing. The city was burned to the ground, completely destroyed. Those who did survive were enslaved. And it cannot be overestimated and overstated how impactful this event had on the Jewish community. It changed Judaism and the way they lived out their faithfulness from that point onward. And Jesus knew something like this was going to take place. And so when his disciples are being starstruck by the large temple stones, he tempers their excitement. No, the stones of the temple will not remain standing, but the cornerstone will. Psalm 118 reminds us, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And by the end of the week, Jesus will be the stone that the people had rejected. He will be God's cornerstone on which everything will change. Verse 3 in Mark chapter 13. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, So tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? This is one of those reminders that the disciples were human, right? This is just like us. We want to know when is this going to be. We want to know the future. But pay attention to how Jesus responds to their very pointed question. It's not what you think it is. Verse 5 and following. Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. So did you catch what Jesus said? The disciples went... Signs. They want to know when all of this is going to take place. When is the temple going to come down? What kind of major life-shifting events are going to happen? And notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, in about 35 years or so, Rome is finally going to get fed up of the zealots and those of us that are trying to uh, to get rid of them, and they will destroy everything. No. He tells the disciples, you know what? Many people are going to come. Some of them are going to say that they're me. And they're going to tell you that the end is near. Even if it's this second coming of me, Jesus says, don't believe them. In fact, you'll hear about wars and rumors of wars, of uprisings, famines, earthquakes. None of these are the signs that you're looking for, Jesus said. These are all things that just happen in life. Biblical scholars call Mark 13 from verse 5... To verse 37, they refer to it as the little apocalypse. The little apocalypse, right? Apocalypse as a word means revelation or unveiling, and apocalyptical writings are those writings that reveal the future in some kind of symbolic and, uh, and, 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 and images and symbols that are often hard to understand. It often speaks of a time of great suffering followed by God's divine deliverance for a people. Now, in case you are wondering if this is the little apocalypse, what's the big apocalypse? Well, the book of Revelation. Many, many more verses in that book. Anyway, this little apocalypse takes the form of this long teaching by Jesus. In fact, it's the longest single teaching by Jesus in the entire gospel of Mark. It foretells the following events from verse 5 to 37. False messiahs and false prophets... Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines, persecution by authorities, including councils, synagogues, governors, and kings, the desecration of the temple, a time of uh, suffering greater than anything that's been before, cosmic disorder, including a darkened sun, no light from the moon, stars falling from the sky, and the kicker is the Son of Man will be coming from the clouds with great power and glory, and His angels will gather the elect from the four ends of the earth. This is a crazy chapter. It's all about the second coming of Jesus, the end of time, like really the end of all ends. Did you know there's a website called raptureready.com that actually has an index which helps measure what's happening in the world around us so that people can be ready for the second coming? They track such categories as uh, famine, drought, plagues, food supply, earthquakes, volcanoes, wild weather, civil rights, financial unrest, oil supply, false Christ, global unrest. This is just a few of the 45 categories that they get a score from 1 to 5 and they add it all together. They write, you could say that the rapture index is a Dow Jones Industrial Average of the end time activity. But I think it would be better if you viewed it as a prophetic speedometer. The higher the number, the faster we're moving towards the occurrence of the pre-tribulation rapture. So, if you want to play at home, there's the scorecard at the bottom of the page. There, under 100, very slow prophetic activity, nothing to see here. Move along. 100 to 130, it's moderate prophetic activity. 130 to 160, okay, things are getting serious now, kind of heavy prophetic activity, and then we get to above 160. Fasten your seatbelts. Now, did anybody pay attention to what the index was on the previous page saying where it is right now? 181. In other words, buckle up, buttercup. <laughs> right? This is just one of hundreds of websites that if you look for them, you can find them that give Christians more information about when Jesus is coming back. And then if you go to Amazon and and you just click in uh, the rapture, the end of time, the second coming, over 300,000 books and movies will be available at your fingertips. In practically every generation since the beginning of Christianity, some believers have reached the opinion that, oh, Jesus is coming back like really, really soon. Now, you know what the problem is with all this? Um, If you are paying attention to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, none of these so-called signs are actually signs according to Jesus. At the very end of chapter 13, Jesus says this, verse 32 and 33, But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be aware, keep alert, for you don't know when that time will come. I don't think it gets any more plain than this. When Jesus says, no one knows, that means no one. He's like, I don't even know when I'm coming back, and I'm going to be the guy that's coming back, right? All those things that I've just finished telling you about, Jesus said, those aren't signs. Those are just things that are going to happen over the course of human history. Wars, earthquakes, famines, suffering. Keep alert, but don't get sucked into thinking, oh my God, this is it, this is the end. There's a story in the Old Testament from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, concerning the prophet Elijah. Elijah had literally, in chapter 18, just had this amazing mountaintop experience. If you've never read that story, you should read it today when you get home. It will blow your mind. And, and God showed up in powerful ways, and, 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 and God's name and authority and glory was shown to all people. But immediately afterwards, Queen Jezebel threatens to have Elijah killed. So Elijah comes off the mountain, he runs into the wilderness, he hides out, God uh, ministers to him, and eventually, after running for a while, God's like, dude, we need to have a face-to-face. And so God sets up a place and a time to meet with Elijah. And Elijah stands there, and he's waiting for God to show up, and the author of 1 Kings 19 says, an earthquake came, a fire came, and a huge windstorm came. Not all at the same time, but one after another. And you know what else the author says? And God was not in the earthquake, the fire, or the windstorm. You know when God showed up? God showed up as the sound of silence. Or in King James, you may remember the phrase, a still small voice. So why am I telling you this? Because I think it's exactly what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples in Mark 13. Mark 13. They had this amazing day at the temple back and forth with the leaders and this, and then and then uh, this whole temple is going to fall down. They want to know when, and Jesus says, you know, pay attention to what's happening in the world around you. That's very important. We don't want to be ignorant. But of all the things that you think are signs pointing to the end, they're not signs at all. It's just stuff that happens in life, including the coronavirus. Right, This is not the first pandemic that the world has faced over the years. There's been plenty of plagues and infections and other uh, medical emergencies since the beginning of humankind. So what are we supposed to do as followers of Jesus when all kinds of uncertain, upsetting, and overall scary things are taking place all around us? Mark 13, verse 34, Jesus says, It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, says Jesus, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at the cock crow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Those are the last words of Jesus on Tuesday. Keep awake. Keep awake. This busiest of all days, according to Mark's gospel. And it may seem at time, friends, that that God has vanished from this earth and left us to fend for ourselves. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The master is just on a journey. And you know what? We have been left in charge. So don't freak out. Don't panic. Jesus didn't say, and when the master leaves and puts his slaves in charge, they all went to Costco to buy toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and bottled water. No. What did he say? They each had their work to do. We all have our work to do. To keep on keeping on, to love people unconditionally, to help those in need, to reach out to folks and let them know that they are not alone, that we're all in this together, and that by the grace of God, we will be okay. There may be some ups and downs, there may be some weeping and gnashing of teeth, but we will walk with you. We will be the church together. In the end, Jesus' prophecy in Mark 13 isn't about fortune-telling. I'm sorry, Zoltar. Zoltar. But it's reminding us what's important. It's not about what you have to watch for. It's about what you're going to be doing in the meantime. Be awake, stay alert, and do what I've called you to do. There's a type of prayer by St. Ignatius of Loyola that I think can be extremely helpful to us as we seek to follow Jesus' words and keep awake. And it's called the prayer of examine. And, And many of us that grew up Uh, As Protestant, mainline Christians, we have no idea this is even a thing. So the prayer of examine is something you could do at the end of your day. Richard Foster, in his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, says that there are two main components of the prayer of examine, almost like two sides of a door. You have to have them both. They complement each other. So first, you want to look back over your day. And you want to see where it was that God was present. Even if you weren't aware of it at that time, now that you're going back and looking. So you can take out your your phone, your calendar, you can remember what your different appointments and meetings were, where you went, or or just try to remember from when you woke up, what are the things you did during the day, right? Where did you receive love and encouragement? Where did you experience joy? Where in your interactions with others did you experience the love of God? Then you also want to go back again over those same activities and ask yourself, where did you maybe miss connecting to God? Where did you act in ways that were uh, less than what God would want for you? Where did you say things that, looking back, yeah, you probably shouldn't have said it, or at least with not that tone? What caused you pain or sadness? What troubled your soul? And so when you've done that, then give thanks for those times and you're able to recognize God throughout the day and those people and situations or that great meal that you had that reminded you of God's goodness. And then ask for forgiveness for those times that you didn't live up to the way God wanted you to. Ask for healing, for cleansing, for correction. Ignatius believed that God will lovingly bless and correct us through this prayer of examine. And it's something we can do at the end of the day, you can do it before you lie down to sleep or just as you lie down before you close your eyes to drift off. It allows us to keep watch and to stay awake not only in what's happening with the world. We're going to be on our phones and on our TVs and on our laptops keeping up the latest of the news, but Are we taking the time to keep up with what's happening in our own lives and interactions? Sometimes we're so busy looking at the big picture, we miss what God is trying to say and do to us each day in our own interactions and relationships. We want to be people of faith, hope, and love. We want to be a calm presence in the midst of this craziness, not just here in the Antelope Valley, but in all our relationships in the world beyond. It's been, it's been a crazy week, friends, and at times overwhelming, if we're honest. May we continue to have hope. Don't be misled by what some may say about what's happening in the world around us. Yes, the end is coming someday, but Jesus said it may not be today. Anyone who thinks that they know the signs that are pointing to really hasn't been paying attention, at least not paying attention to Jesus in Mark chapter 13. Because, heck, even he doesn't know when he's coming back. It's interesting. This sermon series was planned long before I knew what was going to happen this week. But it's the message we need to hear, isn't it? Don't be discouraged or distraught. We are here for each other. That's what it means to be the church. Whether we gather here every Sunday morning at this time physically together or we do it in some other way, we will continue to be the church. So pay attention to what's happening in the world around us. For God's sake, wash your hands over and over again. Because at some point, the master will return. And Jesus has said, in the end, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you until the end of the age. In the meantime, we've got jobs to do. We've got tasks that God has given us. That we might be inspired by Jesus to love in so many different ways. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen.